Great. Well, um, oh, good. As you will uh, be aware by now, even if this is your first Sunday, we've been thinking for the last uh, five weeks, and this is the sixth week, on the subject of our generous God, what it is to to ha- to have all we don't own Him, but to be kind of uh, in friendship, in in relationship with a God who is so generous, uh, and that's how what we've been focusing on, just how generous God is, and in the different ways that He's generous. So the, the last two weeks, uh, I've missed being here. We've been away on holiday, as I said, but uh, I've heard the sermons, and, and they were great. And first of all, there was this reminder that God has given us this gift of himself, gift of his presence, gift of the Lord Jesus in our lives, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and also last week uh, we heard how uh, how that uh, Holy Spirit, how he pours gifts into our lives that we might use to bless others, to bring glory to Jesus as we live with him in the world. And we've also been thinking about God's generous gift of salvation, God's gift of Jesus himself, the King. The gift of belonging to a father and a place, as it were, where we are at home with him. Uh, As well as the very gift of life itself that he's made us and given us everything. Now here's a question. How does being around generosity affect you? Uh, I mean, we I suppose we could ask Dana. We, I won't, but she's already shared how she's experienced generosity this week. Well, the question is, well, how might that have affected her? Uh, let me tell you a story. Um, quite uh, a, a long, quite a while back in our lives, probably about well, anyway, about twenty years or so or more, um, when our kids were a lot younger, obviously, you know, kind of school-aged kids. Um, we uh, found out, or, or someone told us about a, a couple. In the very far north of Scotland, right on the very, you know, the flat bit of the top of Scotland, which the Scots call Caithness, is that right, Alistair? Uh, there's a, there's a, they, they, they got a manor house there. Um, a small manor house, and it sat in about, well, I thought it was about 100 acres of, of woodland. Maybe it was only 50. Mary thought I was being a bit over the top with 100. But anyway, it was a lot of woods around it. And it had a, a lake there. Uh, and a lodge at the gate, you know, one of these little lodges at the gate where you could stay. We used to stay in it uh, because um, they would make it available for people who needed to be refreshed, completely free of charge. And it wasn't just that you could stay there. This couple kind of kind of welcomed you into their whole kind of life. So they kept chickens. And so the kids used to go and collect the eggs, you know, each day. And then we could eat some of them. Obviously, there were too many for us all to eat. And then and then they had in one of their outhouses at the manor house, there was a, a table tennis table. It set up all the time. And, you know, the boys could play table tennis to their heart's content. And there was a boat on the lake. I don't know how deep the lake was. But anyway, we won't go there. But anyway, so they could kind of go on the lake if they wanted to. And, and, you know, it was, uh, they, they gave us supper a couple of times a week. They said, oh, come and have supper in our big manor house kitchen. It, it was amazing. And we found that this generosity was contagious. I don't know whether it's my wishful thinking. You'll have to ask someone else in the family. But it seemed like we were a bit more generous to each other during that time. Certainly, you know, the, the, uh, 
the stresses that we were experiencing perhaps or just regular life seemed to not be such a big deal when we were in this generous, gracious, kind Christian environment. In fact, that's why they did it. And I, I, I used to recommend it. Many mission partners I was working with and others in Christian ministry who needed that kind of refreshment, if you're willing to go all the way up to Cape Ness, that, that's, that's why we went, partly because to blaze a trail because so few people took up their kind offer because it was hundreds of miles away. But it was worth it and it was great. It was wonderful. And Oliver and Valerie, that was their names, their kids had grown up, had pretty much left home at that point. They were very different to each other, very different to each other. But together, both of them, together, they were like generosity and grace incarnate. And uh, we've never forgot it. I'm still in, uh, Valerie's passed away uh, last year, but we're still in touch. We have been in touch with, with Oliver and so on. So, ever felt the impact of generosity? How it makes you feel and behave? Well, think about living with God's generosity. Think about all the stuff that we've been hearing about. What impact will that make? Well, we're looking today at 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, parts of each. So let's, um, uh, and I need to tell you, you can find it on page 1163. We'll read it in a moment or two. But while you're finding it, let me tell you something about the background. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to a church in Corinth that he planted. uh, And he's uh, kind of not there at the moment. And he's writing to them about a number of things. But one of the things he's telling them about is a project that he had, which was to collect money for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. They were on very hard times. And Paul has been for a number of months, maybe even years, uh, going around encouraging the Gentile churches that he started and he knew to give money so that it would help out the Jerusalem church. And that's what this part of 2 Corinthians is all about. The Corinthians had promised to give, and Paul is simply writing to them uh, partly here, but he's doing other things too. He's saying, look, just get ready, because the man called Titus is going to be with you soon. He don't want to be embarrassed. You said you were going to give. Well, you know, just a hint, hint. You know, now's the time to, to get ready to do that. Okay, so that's the, the background. And I suggest you read the whole of these two chapters if you've got time later this afternoon. It's quite interesting to see the different things he says to them. There's a lot about his relationship with them and also about the practicalities of this gift. But behind it all, there's a much bigger story. Because behind it all is this story of how we follow Jesus together in communities. And as we do that, the life of Jesus gets worked out through giving as well as other ways. So let's read it. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 9. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier, 
made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So he's telling the Corinthians to get ready to give. Um, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in that love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then he goes on with lots of details about how it's going to happen and lots of other things. And go on to chapter 9, verse 6. This is as he sums up the whole kind of big story now. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And that whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So we begin here as we think about living in grace. It begins with a story. Love a good story, don't you? But this is a true story. It's about a community of Christians who are going through really tough times. Really tough. Do you see what it says there in those early verses in chapter 8? They were in the midst of very severe trial. Now, we don't know what it was. It could have been persecution. Uh, Certainly, they suffered from that, as you'll see where they were in a moment. It could have been natural disaster. That happened. That is what had happened to the Jerusalem church. There had been a famine in their part of the Roman world, and that's why they were in a terrible state. Or it could have been other kind of pressure, but it was very difficult It was severe. One translation says it was an ordeal. And on top of that, they were also very poor. It talks about extreme poverty. See that in verse 2? But even though they were in a really bad place, they were poor, extremely poor. They were having a really, really tough time. Even though, what does it say about them? It says they're joyful and they're generous. They were overflowing with joy, it says, and richly generous. And so when they had heard about the needs of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, they'd given as much as they could. In fact, more than they could really afford. 
for the needs of the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. That's the story. True story about the Macedonian Christians. It's a bit like, and I, I don't recommend it actually because some of you wouldn't like it, but you know that show Mock the Week? You know Mock the Week? You know? Okay. You know there's one, there's one part of Mock the Week where you have scenes you wouldn't expect, you know, and they have to improvise, comedians have to improvise what might, and, and, um, well here's a scene you wouldn't expect. A church treasurer <laughs> or a church minister saying, you're giving too much! Stop! Stop giving. You're giving too much. We don't want any more of your money. That's a scene you wouldn't expect. But that was the kind of scene behind this story. It was almost like the, the Corinthian Christians were giving too much. Or the Macedonian Christians rather, were giving too much. They couldn't afford to. Paul says, you know, it's almost like they've gone over the top with their giving. Now, who were they? Well, these were Macedonian Christians. These were Christians in the the community, the other side of Greece. You see the bottom red circle, that's uh, Corinth. That's where Paul's writing. That's in the Roman province of Achaia. I think that's how you pronounce it. And then up in the Roman province of Macedonia, so they were the Macedonian Christians, were churches in, we know about the church in Philippi. See that on the coast? The church at Thessalonica and the church at Berea, we all read about those in the book of Acts. So and you can see where the church of Jerusalem is, over there in Jerusalem, obviously. So that's the kind of big picture. So these were these Christians in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and possibly some other places that we don't know about from the New Testament. That's what's happening. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, and he's telling us all about them, and it helps us. It helps the Corinthians, doesn't it, to see that it's possible that we can live for Jesus, we can love Jesus, despite the circumstances. Despite the circumstances. You do find that your Christian life only really works properly when everything's going well for you. Well, Paul is saying it doesn't have to be like that. He's saying that despite the circumstances, we can know God's life, God's presence, God's help doesn't make it any easier in that sense. doesn't mean the circumstances suddenly get, well, that's no problem. It is still a problem. The Macedonians were still poor. In fact, you might say they're even poorer when they've given so much away. But there's uh, something is happening. So how did they live in grace? How did they live like that despite everything, despite their circumstances? And how can we Well, verse 1 gives us the first answer to that. It says, God gave them grace. He wants you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian Christians. You see, God was at work in their lives. He enabled them to respond like that to him. It just happened to be giving for them. It might have been any number of things. can be any number of things for us. The Lord calls us to live for him, to show his life, to be the people he wants us to be, to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit wants to bring out in our lives, whatever the circumstances. And he generously enables that. He helps us with that. But we need to live in what he's doing. We need to know that. They were going with his presence. They were aware of his work. They were expecting to see him there. They were looking for his provision. And this led them, verse 4, it says they were, they were privileged. They couldn't, you know, they they behaved in 
a completely illogical way. Look, verse 4 there. It says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They said, we, we you know, I guess Paul or Mike said, no, you don't. You don't need to give this much. No, we want to. We, we must do so. We just need to do this. We want to. Please, let us do this, they are saying. Because God's grace is working in them. They said, I know it's going to, it, we, we want to serve because we just want to serve God and live for God and we want to bless his people. That was their attitude because God gave them grace. But also it says in verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord. That was their priority. See that verse 5? They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, then by the will of God also to us. They were going to give themselves to Jesus. That was the main thing. Jesus was the main thing for them. Whatever the circumstances, he wasn't going to change. And they were going to trust him and go with him. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, and he's telling us, as you read the verses on, he's trying to use their example, because he's saying to them, he's saying to us, you can be like that. You don't have to be locked down as a prisoner of your circumstances. You can give yourself to the Lord. And, uh, and then, not because you have to, he says that there, but because you love him. And he reminds them as well of, of how gracious God has been, how generous God has been in verse 9. That's what's behind it all. He Paul's reminding the Corinthians. You know the grace, or in one version says, you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be made rich. Jesus was rich. We'll remember this. He had everything. He was the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of heaven. He he still was the Lord of heaven and earth. But he, it says in Philippians, he emptied himself and embraced the servant's role and became obedient to death. And we'll celebrate that later on. That's how gracious God has been. Sim reminded us uh, a few weeks ago of God's generosity in saving us. Do you remember he was saying, it's, and, and he's even helped us receive the gift that he's given us. Remember Sim was saying, you know, he helps us. We, can, we can, can't even receive the gift, hardly. He, he helps us. That's how gracious God is. This is how the generosity of God gets into us. We give ourselves to him. That's the first thing. And then out of that, we give ourselves to others to serve. And you see in these, this little passage, these two kind of key ways the word grace is used in the New Testament. Grace in God saving us, God giving us all that we need, and in Jesus doing what we could not do for ourselves, and offering us this gift of salvation, God's grace, that great act that Jesus has done for us. But there's also... The New Testament talks about God's grace working through us, enabling us to live his way. So in verse 7, Paul almost says in passing, since you excel in everything, and he gives a list, and at the end of the verse, that see that you also excel in this grace of giving. 
So think back over the series, series over the series, over the series. It's been a serious series, I suppose. Uh, think about God's generosity. What are you going to do with all that generosity? What am I going to do? What are we going to do as a church with all of that? We live in generosity. Oh, well, that's the challenge. Responding to our generous God. And he even helps us do that, gives us grace for that. Verse 8 makes it very clear, doesn't it? It's not a matter of commands. Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm not commanding you. So if anyone tells you you've got to give, they're being disobedient to the Bible. It doesn't say, I'm, Paul said, I'm not commanding you. We'll see in a moment. It's not something you have to do, but something you want to do out of your love for Jesus. We love him that much, and we love what he loves. And we really can live in grace. We really can be generous with our time, with our money, with ourselves, with the gifts God has given us. Circumstances need not stop us if we're genuine. In fact, that's a sign of true life and health for us as Christians. We're called to live in grace. Let's enjoy that. Lap it up and love it. It's a good thing to do. But secondly, I want us to think about multiplying grace. And this is, turn the page to 2 Corinthians 9. And as I said just now, Paul in this intervening section has been dealing with some of the details of how this giving, how the mechanics of this giving is going to work. And he comes back to this backstory of God's grace as we give. And it's all about, you'll see, how God works through our giving. And behind these verses, there are, I'm not going to look at them, but there are actually three Old Testament scriptures. I'm going to, not going to look at any of them, but it's just interesting to, to know this. One is quoted direct, that's Psalm 112 there. But behind the background is also Proverbs 22. And also actually Isaiah 55 is referred to or alluded to in this little passage here. But one, as I said, is Proverbs 22. Uh, and he quotes, uh, actually, from the Greek version of Proverbs 22, what's called the Septuagint. Um, it, it, and in that version, it, well, all the versions, but he directly quotes from the Greek version, as you'll see in a moment. But there in Proverbs 22, if you read it later, you'll see that it's all about, as the rest of Proverbs is, all about wise living. How do you live with God wisely? You know, what kind of advice would you like to be able to live the life God wants you to live? That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's all about, um, in that chapter 22, one of the things it says is how as we live with God, the best way to kind of deal with money is to hold it loosely, not hold it too tightly. And it talks in Proverbs 22 about generosity. And as I said, Proverbs is all about wiser counsel. Often you get that phrase in Proverbs, what, listen to my counsel. It's, you know, like a man to his son. It's just the kind of form the book's written. Listen to this. This is good advice. And that's what it is. It talks about actions and consequences. Even sowing and reaping. And in Proverbs 22, there's a little reference to sowing and reaping as well. And it's in that passage, but actually only in the Greek version. And that hasn't made it into our, our versions. The, which is based on the Hebrew version. But in that little passage, in the Greek version, the one Paul would have known, 
it says this, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So when, he, when Paul quotes that, he's quoting directly from that version of Proverbs 22 that he would have known. Okay? So what's it telling us? If you want to find out where it is, by the way, for later, it's kind of the second half of, chapter, of verse 9 in 22, Proverbs 22. It's a bit like that station and that platform in Harry Potter, you know, platform, whatever it is, 12B or 13B or whatever. It's a bit like that. It's not in our version, but it, it's there in the one that Paul used. So what's it telling us? Well, it's telling us that giving is like Proverbs advises. We decide what to do, verse 7. Paul says, look, you should decide what you're going to give, what's in your heart, so that you can give it with joy. He said, you decide and then give. Not because you have to, he says. Not because you're under compulsion. He's already said, I'm not commanding you to do that, but you can give to them this this need if you want or if you don't want. Not reluctantly, you know, sometimes we think, Sometimes um, actually charities are very good at this. And let's say, face it, so are churches. You know, make you feel so guilty that if you don't give, you'll think, oh, I better give because otherwise they'll think I'm a bad person. You know, someone on comic relief says, don't you care about those people? They're going to die. You know, like Bono. You know, every every time I snap my fingers, someone dies across the world. And someone in the audience said, well, stop snapping your fingers then. But that's a that's an old old joke. So you know that that kind of thing. Not you. I suppose it's good to encourage because these are serious matters, obviously. But Paul is saying, you know, we don't give because, you know, you, you have to, or because if, if you don't, you're going to feel terribly bad about it. But you do, out of your heart, what you want to do. Because that's how God works. It's a, it talks about God's generosity there in the whole of our lives. Look at verse 8. It says here that God is able to bless you abundantly. That's a great word, blessing. That goes right back to the beginning of, of, of Genesis when God blesses the human couple and says, go and you know, forth and multiply and he blesses Abraham and that whole stream in the Bible of God's intention to, to be in relationship with people that's summed up in this word blessing. So he says, you know, God's going to bless the whole of your life and he can there's a totality about it his presence as we're in relationship with him look at what's covered in that verse all things all times all you need for every good work that's that's pretty total isn't it now that's an amazing kind of promise now does that mean we're always going to have loads of money does it mean no no, no, it doesn't mean that necessarily because it talks about being enriched in every way it's not just about money here but this attitude that God is so generous to you that enables us to, to just know his blessing and pass it on, live it out. And that's what this quote from Psalm 112 there in the middle, in the bit in, in, in poetry type face, in the middle of the verse there. I'd better if I tell you the verse, it's verse 9. The quote from Psalm 112. And that's a psalm that talks about how God provides the, the righteous person, the person who knows him, so they can give to others. And, and, and it says their righteousness endures forever. Their righteousness, their, their response to God's faithfulness, it lasts, it endures for, forever. Now we know that the Lord's righteousness endures forever, but, but the psalm is saying that as you're enabled to give, Whatever it is, as you're like God in that way, your 
righteousness lasts forever. So as we give in the totality of our lives in response to God's generosity to us, what I'm calling grace-powered giving, it lasts. It lasts. When my sabbatical, uh, that was 2016 uh, summer, I spent some time... Uh, so I went and saw somebody I hadn't seen since I was about oh, 23. Uh, he was a guy, some of you know him actually, he used to be a member of Portsmouth Church, uh, a guy called Colin Holmes. You know, Colin Holmes. He was a, a, a evangelist in Hampshire when I was growing up as a teenager in Fareham. And he gave me time. He invested in my life. He didn't give me any money, uh, but he gave me something of his his care and his concern because he, so he thought here's, it wasn't just me a few, a few others of it here's, here's some young guys I'm going to spend some time and encourage them in their Christian lives and it's lasted so in my sabbatical I went back to see how he was doing and say, and say thank you Colin I appreciated that that was how many was that 40 years later more than 40 years I won't tell you how many years I can't do the maths, I'm too old. Anyway, uh, it lasts. When Mary and I were students, there was a guy called, um, again, some of you know, a guy called, uh, a couple called Peter and Margaret. And Peter and Margaret, uh, Peter used to have a Bible study in his home for students. And they'd open their home and give hospitality. And it's lasted. It's in their lives. Actually, it's one of the reasons you're here, isn't it, actually, came, came out of that relationship. It's lasted. What they gave lasted. That's why we love having students in our home, because we received it when we were students. Lasts. Becomes part of you. More than that, though, it multiplies. This is what verses 10 and 11 are talking about. It talks about he who supplies bread for the sower and so on will increase the store of your seed, etc. There's a kind of cycle of grace here, just like with harvest in the natural world. What you give is multiplied. It grows so that you can keep being generous. Now I know this has been used by some fundraisers and others to say, that means if you give, God will give you 90% back and so it's a way of making loads of money by giving. That's not really what this is about. But there is truth that as we give, God multiplies to others and keeps providing for us. Let me tell you another story. Um, a, a friend of mine, I, I've not known him very long, well a few years, about 10 years or so, um, and uh, he's just—he's retired now, and he, uh, he's older than me. He and some of his friends—I think there were about six of them, handful of them—when they graduated, I think they were university friends. They decided, let's let's form a little trust, and we'll give, we'll tithe, or whatever it is—you know—we'll give our money into the trust between us. And we'll use that trust because it was tax efficient or all that kind of stuff. He's an accountant, so they know about that kind of thing. And so that's what they did. And I phoned him up yesterday. I said, hey, Richard, I'm going to tell this story. Is that okay? Uh, I said, I'd I'd like to know, because he told me the other day. I said, how much actually went through your trust? He said, over one and a half million pounds. It's quite good, isn't it? Quite encouraging. That was over the handful of guys or maybe there were women as well, I don't know, but uh, whoever. Um, you know, they were friends, and they did that together. 
he said, actually, we just closed the trust down because I know one of the members has died and others are, you know, others are older and so on. One and a half million pounds, not bad, is it? And he said, I said, I'll tell that to Paul. He said, yeah, he said, tell them this. He said, tell them that the first year's uh, amount was 120 pounds. So that was, you know, obviously 120 pounds was worth a lot in those those days back in whenever it was probably halfway through the 70s or something not that long ago well I don't think so anyway uh, you know what I mean so he said tell them that it, the first the, the first year was 120 pounds and he said tell them just start small trust God who knows what you will do true story uh, from uh, that uh, right bang up to date it multiplies but it's not just about money as I said before, it's in every way. But more than that, it transforms. Look at 11b, verse 11, second half of verse 11 and 12. Are all about how our generosity results in something else. In thanksgiving to God. The Corinthians give money, it says. It, but it becomes more than this. You're looking in verse, uh, where are we? Verse 13, is it? No, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. That's the one thing. That's giving money to meet the need. Not only that, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. The Corinthians gives money, but it becomes more than money. And it's not just for what they've got. It says, goes on in verse 13 and 14 to say, the people that have received the money are going to be thanking God for you. It's going to be kind of turning back in praise and thanks for what you've been able to do. Because it's through God's grace. They're thankful for how God is working in your life. It's transformed. So, okay, here's an example. Our church, we spent out of our mission budget some money... Uh, and I'm sure uh, some on the team also use their own money too, to go to Turtle Island. We're all praying for that, weren't we? Now, how is Heather, our global partner in Turtle Island, how is her prayer life affected by that, by that giving? Well, and others in their team, they're thanking God that he gave grace that those people came. They're thanking God for that. They're thanking God for those people. They're encouraged. They're, they're strengthened. They're not constantly sending us thank you letters saying, oh, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming. No, but I bet they've thanked God more than once. Don't you? That that, what they've received is, it's, it's just kind of been multiplied. It's been transformed into something else. There was an old man in our church called Hubert Vine. Some of you will remember him. He left a legacy, 10,000, when he died. It was about 10 years ago. So he left money. I said, so, and part of the, we use the money for certain things. Part of the money we used to buy these chairs <laughs> and others like them. So Hubert's money, so if ever you've been prayed for in this corner, you've been sitting on a chair that came from his money. Now, and so his money for a chair provides a place where people can pray. See, there's something being transformed it's a simple thing you give money to bring in good news and you might give money and what's that transformed into a girl in Pakistan gets education or a sewing machine that transforms her life or a pastor in Sudan can be trained in a college 
It's not just about the money. It gets transformed to other things. And finally, grace-powered giving deepens our relationship with God. Look at verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. So it's said in those verses, um, I'll, I'll probably just read, let me read verse 13 as well. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospels of Christ and for your generosity in sharing them. You see, other people are connected with you as they thank God and their prayers, their hearts go out to you. So you have a new kind of connection with those people but you have a stronger link with God because his grace has been worked into you, transforming your relationship with others as their hearts go out, as they pray for you. So, can we, can we live here? Can we make this our home in God's generosity as a community? Oh, I'll think about that. Are my circumstances shaping me far too much, really? Are yours? Well, come back. Come back to the Lord and start again. Or just pick up where you stopped. Enjoy God at work in you and through you, transforming the things we give for his glory. Anything you should do? Well, I'll leave that to you. Maybe if you've decided you need to do something, you could pray with someone and tell them, I'm going to do this and pray for me in that and then ask me whether I did it. If you want to do that, you could do that afterwards. Have you responded to God's generosity in Jesus? He's given us everything in Jesus. His salvation freely. A free gift of eternal life as we turn from the wrong, the self-centeredness, the sin in our lives, and we trust him because he died and rose again for us. That's a generous gift. And you know the thing about gifts is they need to be received. It's no good them just kind of being at the bottom of the Christmas tree all through till Christmas Eve the following year, is it? No, it isn't. You've got to pick them up and open them and receive them. And it's like that with all of God's gifts, actually. Particularly the gift of his salvation, of his forgiveness. So if you've not done so, take it. Take him. Receive him. Turn and trust him. Begin that life reorientated around him. It's got to start somewhere. Let's pray. Does the band come? I think the band's coming. Father, we do thank you for your immense generosity to us. Thank you, Lord. It's just overwhelming. Thank you that this passage ends not with a a teaching statement, but with a statement of praise and worship. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Lord, we're there. We want to thank you for your indescribable gift. And Lord, we pray that we will live in that generosity that you have given us. If we've never stepped into that place where we've received your 
kind salvation and forgiveness and renewal for the first time. May we do so, Lord. And for many of us that have, may we be living in that. Just work through us, we pray. May we know your surpassing grace at work in our lives, whether that's by financial giving, other kinds of giving, or or just being obedient to what you call us to do. May we live in your surpassing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.